If you got your Bible, turn to the book of Psalms tonight. Psalms chapter 127. Psalms 127 tonight. And we're going to look at some good verses here. <clears throat> if you've got an old Schofield Bible like I do, it's page 663 on the bottom right-hand corner. If you don't, the book of Psalms is the biggest book of our Bible, the most chapters in our Bible. And it's towards basically the, close to the middle of our Bible. <clears throat> but you've got Psalms and Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon and all those good books right together. These are the, what's called the poetical books of our Bible. That includes the book of Job as well. But I like this. I, but the book of Psalms is a great, great thing. Somebody told, us, told me one time that a good practice that you can get into is reading at least one proverb a day and then one psalm a day. If you read a, a, a proverb a day, a chapter of Proverbs, it'll keep you right with your fellow men. But if you read, read a, a psalm every day, it'll keep you right with God Almighty because these, these good psalms always keep us in tune with Him. These great songs of our Bible. <clears throat> psalm 127, if you're there, would you say amen? All right, let's read these verses together. And we're going to start in verse number one. It says this, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. But I like that good verse, don't you? Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the goodness of your word. Lord, I'm glad that we have, your, have these great songs of our Bible. Lord, I pray you bless your word now. Help me to preach the thought you've given me to your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you're going to remember, Lord willing, that if you were here with us last week or even several Sunday mornings ago, that I'm in a series of messages I've called Identity Theft. You know, our world today is rife with people who seek to steal financial identities and personal identities and replace those identities with counterfeit. You know, the problem is such a great problem in our world that it has produced a very lucrative business for companies who offer their services to help protect our identities from being stolen. They offer them now on television commercials. If you have benefits at some companies, part of your benefits package as a company is an identity theft uh, service. In the United States alone, I found this out this week, the identity theft protection business is a $9.2 billion business. I mean, it is insane. And yet, still today, every 20 seconds, someone in the United States has their identity stolen. Incredible to me. But listen, again, I'm not, but I'm not talking to you about protecting your personal identity. I'm not talking to you about even protecting your financial identity. The whole point of these series of messages is to help you and I uh, understand that we need to recognize, protect, and defend our spiritual identities as well. You see, the day that you and I recognized that you and I were great sinners in need of a great Savior, and we saw the Lord Jesus as He is, the Savior of the world, and when you and I asked Him to forgive us our, of our, for our sins, and we, you and I became part of His family. 
We, not only did he save us, and not only did he promise us a home in heaven, but he also adopted you and I into his family and gave us a brand new name. He gave us his name. And now you and I identify ourselves as his children. But that identity comes with a responsibility in every aspect of our lives. I used to tell, our, I used to tell my youth group when I'd go out places, I'd tell them this. I'd say, listen, before we get out of the van or whatever, I'd say this. Listen, you, wherever you go, you've got three names that you carry with you. First of all, you got your family name. My last name's Richie. So everywhere I go, what I do, what I say, how I act is going to affect the name of Richie everywhere I go. I've got my family name. Then I'd say this. Now on the side of that van or bus, you've got a church name. And everywhere you go and what you do and what you say is going to carry, it's going to affect that church name of where you go. But more importantly than your family name and your church name, you've got a heavenly name. Because everywhere you go, you're a Christian. And what you do and what you say and how you act is going to affect what people think about your heavenly Father. You know, but the truth of the matter is when it comes to our identity, uh, that, that the responsibility of being a child of God, there are, and, and the identities that, are, that we place ourselves in Christ, there is a very real enemy, the, the, the devil, who seeks to replace that spiritual identity that you and I have with a counterfeit identity. Now think about this with me quickly. Think about your life. How many different hats do you wear in your life? Or can I ask you this way? How many different identities do you have? Now listen, I'm not suggesting that there are people in this room who have a multiple personality disorder. You may, but I don't know about it. Tell me, after, tell me, tell me after, after church tonight. I'm not saying that we all need to have somebody come in and cart us off with, with, with a, to a padded room somewhere. But can I just tell you, in my own life, I have several identities that I carry. All of them are important. And what I've been attempting to do is look at those identities, not in the view of our culture or society or the devil, which would always want to give you and I a counterfeit. No, I want to look at those identities from the Word of God. So what I've attempted to do for the past several services is, is, is to start with the priorities and work our way down the priorities of our identities and talk about them from the view of what the Bible has to say. We started talking about the most important identity we carry, and that's the identity we have as Christians. As Christians. Because everything else I do, whatever else I am, it will always fall under that great umbrella of the fact that I am a Christian. Listen, we, 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 we have to get to a point in our lives where that word means something to us again before it will ever mean anything to the world again. You know, I, I get bothered by people who call themselves Christians and yet there is not one thing different about their life that separates them from the world outside the, outside the church doors. There ought to be a difference in who we are if we call ourselves Christians. That identity is important. And we carry that name everywhere we go. But then last week I, told, I, walked down, I talked about the second of our identities and the priorities of our life. And that is our identities as a spouse. As a spouse. Now I understand, like I told you, 
Some of us have that identity and some of us don't. But I want to, I want to do our best to, to, to look at all these things the Bible has to say. And can I just say, listen, if, you, if, you, if you're here tonight and you, and you have a spouse, if you are a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband, let me say that again, if you are a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband, because that's still in the Bible in 2023. But listen, you have a responsibility to that spouse. And I want you to understand very clearly, very clearly, that that... That, that responsibility, I'm first of all a Christian. But the second thing I am before anything else is I'm a spouse. To, I'm a husband to my wife. Listen, that we have to recognize the importance of that. We have to understand the roles that come with that, with that position. We have to understand the desire that should come with that. It is important that you and I identify not with what the world would have a marriage to be. Oh, no, friend. But what does the Bible say about it? Well, tonight we're going to turn to our third biblical identity that God has allowed some of us to have. And I'm talking about our identity as a parent. As a parent. Now, if God has allowed you the privilege to be a mother or a father, can I just remind you tonight that that you have been given a great gift and a great responsibility. The task of being a parent is difficult And sometimes it's thankless. And sometimes you may even feel hopeless in the case of being a parent. But when we understand what the Bible has to say about children and parenting, you and I are reminded of how incredibly important being a godly parent really, really is. And that's where we find ourselves in this great psalm tonight. This psalm deals with parenting. Now, you may have not read that when you read that psalm, but this psalm right here, I like it. There's a couple of things I like about it. If you, in my Bible, and maybe yours does this as well, when you see the chapter heading where it says Psalm 127, right underneath my Bible, there's what's called a superscript. And I can actually see... Who, uh, who, who wrote this or who it was written to. And this tells me that this was a song of degrees, and it says this, for Solomon. Now here's what I infer from that. This seems to me that it was a song that was written by David to his son, Solomon. And, so- and David is trying to give Solomon a little bit of wisdom and a little bit of hope and a little bit of understanding of just what he was getting ready to get into when it came to him being a parent. And he equates parenting to being a warrior, a archer. Because you see right there in verse number 4 it says this, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. What does he mean by that? Now, what he's, not, he's not saying that, that being a parent is like being a soldier. You're going to battle every day against your children. That's not what he's saying. There are some days I've had to go to war against my kids. The good news is I still pay the bills, so I win most of them. But that's not what he's saying. He is not telling you and I that being a parent is a war. Our homes, let me just say this right up front, our homes should never be a place of constant conflict and constant warring. Oh, no, friend. I want you to know a home, as God has designed it, ought to be a place of refuge. Where you and I can come against or come away from the wars outside of our home and find in our home a place where people love you and I and care for you and I and support you and I and help you and I. Homes are not meant to be wars. So what in the world does David mean? More importantly, what in the world does God mean when he tells you and I that as arrows in the are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of youth? What is he telling us about parenting here? Well, 
Let me try to give you an answer if I can. Let's think about the arrow, if you will. First of all, when it comes to this thought, here's what I learned about parenting from that verse. First of all, I learned this first of all, first and foremost, that arrows must be shaped. Arrows must be shaped. Now, uh, when, when, I know I have lots of people who hunt, and you may hunt in here. Maybe you use a maybe you use an, a bow and an arrow, or maybe you have a, a crossbow, or whatever the case may be. But if you go to the day to the store to buy an arrow to fit your for to fit your compound bow or your crossbow, they're not they're made out of out of out of. Uh, out of some kind of aluminum or some, maybe, some, some, maybe, maybe uh, some kind of carbon fiber. They're made out of some kind of metal because it holds its shape better and it lasts longer and all this. But in Bible times, arrows were not made out of metal. They were made out of wood. And the last time I checked, when I go look at a lot of trees, I don't find an awful lot of limbs on trees that are perfectly straight and perfectly round. Do you? No, I don't either. That means this, is that when the warrior... Begin to, sh- to begin to take those arrows and prepare them for battle. The first thing he had to do when he found the, the wood or he found the reed he was going to use for that arrow, the first thing he had to do to prepare that arrow was to shape it into, into the, the, to, to, to the shape it must be so it could fulfill the purpose that that arrow was meant for. And can I tell you something? Here's, here's, here's what I found to be interesting. How those arrows were shaped in Bible days was a very interesting thing. They used two things to shape an arrow, heat and pressure. So a warrior, or if, or if it had, he had somebody do it for him, they were called fletchers. So they, the fletcher would go out and he'd find a, a piece of wood that was still green. So it, it still had the moisture in it. And and it wouldn't just fall apart. And he would go find that piece of wood and what he would do, it would maybe had the rough shape of an arrow, was semi-straight or whatever. He would take that, that green pliable piece of wood and he would lay it beside the fire. And the heat would begin to, to, to cause the steam to boil up inside of that wet piece of wood. And then after it got to a certain temperature, just before it would catch fire, he would then take that arrow and it would, they would have a soapstone or some kind of stone that, that had a little notch, a straight notch in it. And he would take that warm, hot piece of wood and put, place it in this formed piece of, 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 of stone and begin to roughly, with pressure, apply pressure to that piece of, uh, the piece of wood to begin to shape the arrow into what it had to be to make sure it was straight so it would fly straight, to be sure that the rough, the rough edges of that arrow were knocked off so, the, so it would fly through the wind correctly. I mean, the, 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 before that arrow could be used for how it must be used, it had to first be shaped and so, that it, so that it could be used in a proper way. Well, what does that mean for you and I as parents? Can I tell you, one of the first things you and I as parents have to learn is this, is that our job as parents is to first and foremost shape the arrows that God has given to you and I. When is our job that that you and I, that that God has, has given to you and I to shape the arrows that God has placed into our home? We have to learn how to remove the rough edges. We have to learn how to straighten out the bends. God has given parents the privilege, the great privilege, to step in to the life of a young person and mold and shape that young per, per, uh, that young person into an arrow fit for God's army. Oh friend, that's a great responsibility. Can I tell you what that means to me? That means that 
I cannot be my children's friend. Can I tell you one of the great counterfeits of our day? Is that, is that parents are convinced that, that what they ought to be to help their children is they ought to be their friend before they're anything else. And it, it just is not that way. Can I tell you something? You know, the, young people, children, children, they are born. And one thing they're born, like we all are born, is they're born sinners. And they know how to do wrong. Can I, tell you, I mean, listen, I've had two young kids in my house. I was young at one point in time a long, long time ago. And I don't remember anybody ever having to teach me how to do wrong. Nobody taught me how to lie. Nobody taught me how to, how to, how to fib. Nobody taught me how to, how, to, how to be selfish and not want to share. Nobody taught me those things. That was born directly into who I was. But I thank God I had a few parents who stepped in and they taught me how to do right. They shaped me. They molded me. They stepped in and they, and, 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 they, and, they, and they made sure that at the end of the day they were beginning to take off the rough edges of my life. They were beginning to straighten out the curves of my life. They were shaping me into being a child that I ought to be. Oh, friend, can I say the, the, the counterfeit world that we live in has convinced parents that what our job is is to make sure that one thing our children never hear from our lips is they never hear the word no. Oh, friend, can I tell you, my life. I thought for the first 15 years of my life it was the only word my dad knew was the word no. No, we live in a day and age where parents are taught, but they just want to give out to their children and say yes to their children and provide everything to their children. It's just yes, 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 whatever you want. Never say no. Do what you want. Go where you want. Be where you want. Do whatever it is. You can have anything and we're creating spoiled children. Amen. And can I tell you something? Here's what I don't understand about that. We talk about having spoiled children like it's a good thing, but you'd never give that child who's spoiled, spoiled milk, would you? Why? What happens when milk is spoiled? It's valueless. It's useless. It has no worth to it anymore. So why in the world would we brag and want something in our children where they become spoiled or valueless or useless because we've done everything we can to not shape them, to not make them who they ought to be, to not sit there and say, okay, here's what the Word of God says, here's how it ought to be. We've done nothing to shape them the right way and we think that we've done a good job and at the end of the day, they're nothing more than valueless, useless children because they've been spoiled. So how do we shape our children? Well, first of all, we shape them in our home. In our home. That means that me as a father, my wife as a mother, we as parents, we have a responsibility to shape them with how we treat them in our home. And it's, can I just say, that's not just with rules. I think sometimes we think we're doing a good job by just putting down a list of rules for our children. And we, I think there ought to be rules. There ought to be things that they do. There ought to be consequences when things, when things don't go right. Rules are not a bad thing. Rules are a good thing. You know, I, I like it over there in the book of Joshua. We'll get there eventually. But I'll, re, I'll preach as much as ahead of time. When, when, when the Lord began to lay out the promised land for his children, for the children of Israel, he began to tell them, okay, here's where your land is. You can go to here, and you can go to here, and you can go to here. And he laid out very quickly, quick, clearly the boundaries where his children were supposed to live. And they weren't to step across those boundaries. Now, why is that? Well, because God was protecting his children. I grew up on my pa's farm, and my, and my pa had an apple farm. We didn't have one, one horse, one goat, one sheep on that farm. It was nothing but apples. But can I tell you why? What my, my, my pa had all around his property, Brother Brian, he had a fence all around his property. Why? It wasn't because we, we didn't want the neighbors to call us and say, hey, come 
get your apple tree out of my front yard. It's in my front yard again. It wasn't to keep the bad things. That it wasn't to keep the. It wasn't to keep the good. The 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 good good things from getting out. The fences were designed to keep the bad things from getting in. God gives you and I boundaries. We ought to give our children boundaries. That's a good thing. There ought to be rules in our home. But it's not just the rules that shape our children in our home. Can I tell you what else, what else shapes our children in our home? Our example shapes our children in our home. When they watch mom and dad, you've heard me say this before, but hear me clearly. Children, children sometimes hear what you say, but children always watch what you do. Listen, friend, listen. Our children are not blind and they're not deaf and they're not ignorant to the problems that their parents face. They'll see it happen. They'll watch us when problems come our way. And they're watching you and I when problems come to see if those songs we sing on Sunday morning about, how, about trusting the Lord, to hear those, to, hear the, to, 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 to see how when, when we shout about how we can trust the Lord and how we can follow Him and we can do everything. That when we shout it out here on Sundays, they're watching who we are when, it, when the real world happens. And friend, we shape our children by our example in our home. Listen, Daddy, and I'll just talk to daddies. Listen, if you'll come in here and you'll shout and shake hands and love people and, and, and talk about how much you love the Lord on Sunday and you'll go home and it's nothing but cussing and fighting and berating your, berating your family, you are a hypocrite. And your children see that. And it ought not be that way. Hey, mamas, if you come in here and it's all smiles and I love my kids, put my arms around them, and you want to you show off about how much you love your children in front of people and you go home and you ignore them and you fuss at them and you yell at them, can I tell you something? Your kids see that and you're a hypocrite. And they don't want none of that. I wonder, listen, I, I, I hurt, I hurt for young people who will grow up in church and they'll hear the song sung and the preaching done and they'll hear all the things going on in house and then they'll see how we really don't believe what we hear in the church house and by the way we live our home life and when they turn 18 and they move out of our house they'll want none of what we have and none of who we are because we didn't really show up and we didn't really believe it when we, when, we, when we were outside the church doors we shape our children in our home with rules but can I just be honest with you more important than our rules we shape them with our example in the home but the other place we shape right here in the house of God. Oh, yes, friend. Can I tell you, our children, <laughs> our children, ought, we ought to show our children and we ought to make sure our children know that the house of God is the priority of our life. Listen, listen, I'm all for vacations. Go on vacations. I'm all for having fun. Go have fun. But can I tell you something? It ought to be important to you and I to make sure our children are raised right here in the house of God. Listen, we've come, we, we come to a day and age and... <laughs> And we've come to a day and age with, with parenting where we, we want to keep our kids so busy and we want to make sure they're so happy that we'll pay for Johnny to go over here and play this sport. We'll pay for Susie to have dance over here. And we'll, 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 we'll pay for all these things. But the problem is a lot of those things happen on a Sunday. So we'll, we'll tell our kids, hey, yes, church is important. We'll go there. Well, Daddy, I got a ball game Sunday. Well, I paid for that ball team, didn't I? And Johnny, I want you to have a good time. So we'll miss church this Sunday and we'll go play ball. Well, Susie, I love to see you dance. Susie, it's just great. You up there pirouetting or whatever you call that stuff. And I know you got that, that, that thing going on on Sunday. So we'll, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll miss church on Sunday because we got that, that recital. Can I tell you, the moment you do that, you hear me clearly, 
The moment you do that, you've just taught your children that there are things that are more important than church. Okay, hear me, hear me, hear me. Our, our compromises today become our children's standards tomorrow. And if we want our children to be, if we want church to be important for our children, it's going to be important to them every Sunday, every Wednesday. Listen, I, I didn't like growing up that my parents made sure that every time the church doors were open, I was in church. There were days, there were days I was just like, can we not do something else? I mean, we go to church all the time. But my parents didn't really care what my opinion was. They just didn't care. And can I tell you something? When I left my parents' home and I rebelled against everything my parents tried to teach me, it never failed in those moments. I was off doing something like I should. There wasn't something from some message somewhere. There wasn't something where, where, where that I heard at a church service that wasn't always in the back of my head telling me, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You ought not be there. I mean, I'm going to be real personal tonight. Y'all just have to forgive me. When my wife would walk out the door with tears in her eyes with my baby in her arms, and she'd say, I would never have imagined that I would have grown up and married a man who wouldn't want to be in church with his family. There wasn't one time I didn't hear, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't look back and see that fourth row of that church where my family always was going to be. I didn't hear those good songs I heard in church. And I didn't know that what I was doing was wrong. I'll tell you where I learned it. Right here in church. It shaped me. And even when I tried to get away from it, I couldn't get away from it. Why? Because it shaped me. Our children are like arrows. But arrows have to be shaped. They have to be shaped. And we cannot buy into the counterfeit that our whole life was meant to make sure our children never... Have a, never hear a word no, that they have everything they need, that we, that, well, no, not everything they need, they ought to have everything they need, that they, that they get all their toys and all their, and all their shiny things and, and, they, and, and, and we give, give and give to give to them. Hey, it not not be that we come in here on Sundays and we sing the songs and shout hallelujahs and we go home and we're ugly and nasty and cussing and berating. It ought not be that way because we're not shaping our kids the right way. Arrows have to be shaped. Can I just say this? The second thing I think about arrows in that good verse is not only do arrows have to be shaped, but arrows have to be stored as well. Now think about this with me, okay? So the Fletcher or the warrior, he gets that arrow, he puts it by the fire, and he has spent time shaping that arrow. He's, got, he's heated it up. He's put it in that, he's applied the pressure. He's smoothed it out. He's knocked off the rough edges. It's straight. What's he going to do with it now? We just throw it off out in the middle of nowhere and hope nothing happens to it? Oh, no, friend. He stores that arrow that he spent time working on, taking care of, in a place that's protected. Most of the time, in the quiver, on his back. Why is it there? Well, it's there for protection, is it not? It protects it from the environment around it. It protects it from the, from the dangers of it maybe getting stepped on and broken. I mean, listen, it, it, it has to be protected. It has to be stored. And can I just remind you and I, as parents tonight, you and I, one of our great responsibilities is to protect, to store, to take care of our children. 
Oh, friend, can I just say, we unfortunately live in a day and age where the, one of the great counterfeits of our day is not, just, is not just the spoiling parent, it's also the detached parent. Oh, the, the parent, the parent that, that has no interest in and no love for and no care for what's going on in the lives of their children. I, can I tell you something, friend? Hey, hey, listen, if you don't take an interest in your children's life, can I tell you there's a world out there that will take a great interest in your child's life. Oh, there ought to be some protection. And I'm not just talking about protection from enemies. Hey, I'm for all that. Listen, if my wife ever to go anywhere, I mean, my children are 17, 13, and I'm like, lock the doors. Hey, don't answer the door for nobody. Hey, you know, here's where the gun's at. Just shoot and ask questions later. I want my children to be protected. I'm, I'm for all that stuff. We ought to protect our children like that. But hear me. I don't just protect them from intruders into my home. I have to want to protect them from the dangers that are out there that you and I may not even think about. Can I tell you something? That's why as a parent, you and I ought to be very interested in what's going on in the lives of our kids. We ought to, hear me, we ought to know who our, friend, our children's friends are. We ought to know who they are. Ask questions. Hey, listen, hey, can I tell you something? You've heard this statement before. You know this, <laughs> that you are now or you soon will be those people that you spend time with. Well, that's true for you and I as adults, but that's true for our children as well. Hey, who are your children spending time with? Are they good kids, godly kids? Do they love Jesus? Do they go to church? Hey, or, or are they kids who are so caught up in, in all the things of the world, the nastiness of the world? Can I tell you what's going to happen? That child who you love and you try to shape and you try to raise, all the things of this world are going to pull at them and drag at them. And because we're detached and we don't care who they're hanging out with, they're going to go that way one day. Oh, friend, we ought to know who our children's friends are. It ought to be okay to say, nah, you ain't hanging out with them. They don't, they, don't live, they don't believe like us. They don't stand for us. You can be a witness. Hey, be kind, be friendly, be a witness. But a friend, no. We ought to know who our children's friends are. Hey, we ought to know. We ought to know. We ought to know uh, what our children are doing online. Are you kidding me? Hey, listen, this 2023, we hear dangerous stuff all the time about predators who seek kids online. Hey, we live in a day and age where this stinking screen that we all carry around everywhere we go is nothing more than an addictive. I mean, it's more addictive to crack cocaine. Hey, and our kids are glued to that stuff. And that is a, that is a, that is a, 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 world into the mind of our kids and we'll let them spend hours and hours and hours on that stuff just feeding their brain or watching all this stuff and we don't care what they're watching are you kidding me friend we ought to care we ought to protect them from that stuff hey listen <laughs> i mean I, 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 I've told my children, you can like it or you don't like it, it's fine, that at any point in time, we, 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 we will pick their phone up and we'll look at it and we don't care what they think. If we don't like it, they'll just lose the phone. They don't have to have a phone. Hey, there's, I think there's still papers out there somewhere. Who cares? Hey, listen, if we, we want to be interested. You ought to want to be interested. Wait, there, listen, there are people who would love to do anything to ruin the mind of our kids. We ought to protect them from that stuff. We ought to protect them from our, we ought to know who their friends are. We ought to know what they're doing online. We ought to know where our children are going and what they're doing. Hey, why? Because we love them and we try to protect them and it goes so far as this that you and I ought to be extremely interested in the boyfriend or the girlfriend that our children have. Hey, there ought to be some investment, some, some love, some care, some protection. I don't Understand this, this, this idea of parenting that just, that just kind of lets kids go off and fend for themselves and, and they got to do this and they got to do that and we are so detached and so uncaring that we don't even know what's going on in their lives. Oh, friend, we are, there are arrows. We're shaping them, but we got to protect them as well. 
Friend, here, listen. I got some buddies of mine that, that they, they have hunting dogs. And they love their hunting dogs, man. They love them to the point where they get real picky about who they'll let those dogs spend their time with. Because they don't want that dog messing up their dog. But we let our kids go anywhere they want? Hang out who they want to? Are you kidding me? We're not storing our arrows the right way. I mean, we... They're they're a heritage. The Bible says right there in verse number 3, they're a heritage from the Lord. They're a gift. They're a blessing. That God has sought fit in the lives of moms and dads to just reach down and bless them with children. Oh, hey, listen, my wife and I, we know know a couple down in Georgia. For 18 years they've been married. 18 years they've been married and asking the Lord to give them a a baby. Pray the Lord just reach down and bless them with a child. And they're good people. They're godly people. They have given their whole life to serve the Lord. And 18 years they begged God to give them a child and they don't have one yet. They just recently got pregnant, didn't they? Hey, but can I tell you something? And yet mamas and daddies out here, they've been blessed with children and they don't love them enough to protect them. Are you kidding me? We got to store them. Protect them. They got to be shaped. They got to be stored. But here's 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 the last part of what has to happen with an arrow. An arrow eventually has to be shot as well. It says this in verse number 4. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. You know, eventually that arrow in the hand of the warrior for it to serve its purpose must be notched in the bow, the bowstring, pulled and shot. Otherwise it just can't serve its purpose. Now what is... What does that mean for us? Well, that really means this. The whole purpose of childhood is training our children for adulthood. Eventually, however, you and I must allow our children to feel the full responsibility of what adulthood means. Preacher, when's that time? Hey, I don't know when that time is. I know 18 is the American standard for adulthood. But I know who I was at 18. Are you kidding me? <clears throat> 18 may be the American standard. I'm not, I'm not sure what age. I wish I could give you a definitive age and say, at this age, here's what it is. Now, I will say this. I will say this. Whatever that age is, <clears throat> there has to be a point in time where we will willingly set our children in the bow and let them go. Not to never have anything to do with their life again. Oh, no, friend. I, I'm looking forward to the day where I can move from being the parent who commands to being the parent who counsels. That's not who I am right now. That's not God, what God has for me right now. But maybe down the road, I'll be able to be allowed to be a counselor in my, parents li- in my children's life. Right now, I'm just a, here's how it's going to be. I kind of like it sometimes. <clears throat> But can I just say something? There can be a counterfeit. There can be a counterfeit that happens when you and I as parents are never willing to shoot the arrow. Where our fear of our, maybe our failures that we've had as parents growing up, when our children were growing up, and can I just tell you something? I have failed multiple, multiple times with my children. So our fears of our failures that we have with our children growing up or maybe sometimes our lack of faith in God 
keeps us from letting go of that current relationship we have as a parent and allowing ourselves to move into that new relationship God has for us with our children. We have to be careful to be willing to shoot the arrow and let them go. Now listen, I'll, I'll say this. If I wish I could say, here's the age and here's the time and here's when it is. I don't know when that is. I don't know. I will tell you this. I, when, I, when I turned 18, I was still living in my parents' home. And I may have been an adult according to the state of North Carolina, but my dad did not care that I was an adult. <clears throat> my dad still had rules for me. I had a curfew that I had to live by. If I was going to be in my daddy's house, I had to go to church somewhere. And listen, he told me, he told me, he said, listen, he said, you don't have to go to our church, but you've got to be in church somewhere. And he said, if you don't want to go to church, that's fine. You just got to move out. Like, I don't, so I don't, but that, that, I'm not saying, I, I'm telling you that because I'm letting you know that, that the 18 age limit just simply wasn't, the, I can't just sit there and tell you what that age is. But I do know this, there, there have been times where in my own adult life, where I've been blessed to have a good mom and dad and a great mother-in-law and father-in-law who didn't command us as parents. They were counselors to us as parents. And I, I'm sure that there were times that they looked at us and thought, you, well, maybe not my, daughter, my wife, but me, like me, the son-in-law, like, you idiot. Like, what are you doing? But they allowed us the chance to be able to be adults and feel the full weight of what that adulthood was really meant and helped us grow even more as, 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 children, as, as young adults. But at some point in time, you've got to be willing to let the arrow go. Otherwise, how can the arrow serve its purpose? Oh, friend, what a blessing it is. I like what the Bible says. Blessed is a man that has his quiver full. My quiver stopped it too, thank the Lord. <clears throat> but blessed is the man, happy is the man. Can I tell you? Can I tell you how happy is it? I, I like what it says over there in John where it says this, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. And listen, I'm, I'm coming to a point in time in my life where I, I, have, I, I have not experienced things as a parent that some of you all have. My children have not moved out yet. They've not been adults yet. They've not been married yet. I have many more years to figure this parenting thing out. But I do know this. The one thing I want for my children more than my children having a large bank account, more than my children having great houses and cars and, and farms or whatever, I want my children to walk in truth. I want them to love Jesus. I want them to serve Jesus. I want them to know Him personally. Not just know the Jesus that their daddy knows, not just know the Jesus their mama knows, but they have had a personal, real relationship with Him and they walk in truth. But if that's going to happen, then I'm going to have to shape my arrows. I'm going to have to store my arrows and protect them. And then one day I'm going to have to shoot my arrow and let them go. Heads bowed and eyes closed.